This morning, we finish our series on Hebrews 11. I'll be, coming to, I'll be closing it out with, with verses 32 to, to 40. Now, there are a ton of stories in this passage, and, and I would not be able to give each of them their due without keeping us here until about 5 o'clock. So I'm not going to be able to hit them as in-depth as I would like to. That said, man, I, I pray that you are as affected by them this morning as I was prepping this sermon this week. Our God, his love for us and his work on our behalf is such an encouragement to me. As we work through this final passage of Hebrews 11, I pray that you too would be affected by God's love, grace, and mercy as he works in each of us through the faith that he's given us. Let's read the word of the Lord this morning, Hebrews 11, verses 32 to 40. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute and persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. This ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We praise in your name. Amen. This, uh, this past week, my, my family signed up for Disney+. Plus. I thought about holding out, you know, uh, we have quite a few streaming services already. Did we really need one more? Like, was that really something that, that we needed? And then I saw on Facebook about one of my friends sitting down and watching Tailspin with his kids for the first time. I don't know if if many of us remember Tailspin or Rescue Rangers or Darkwing Duck, but those are the shows that that I would wake up early on Saturday mornings to watch. They were appointment television for me. I I remember that Tailspin used to come on at 5 p.m. on Wednesdays. So Saturday mornings was typically the reruns, but 5 p.m. on Wednesdays is when the new Tailspin would air, and man, I had to be home. I had to be home. I had to be in front of my TV watching my tailspin. I had to watch my, my favorite characters. For some of us, our first introduction to heroes was comic books and action figures. I'm sure as kids, I had a few of those, or as a kid, I, I had a few of those introductions as well. But what really clicked for me were some rodents trying to solve mysteries and, 
and foil the plans of the dastardly villain Fat Cat and Rescue Rangers. And to flip on Tailspin and see how Baloo and Kit Cloud Kicker were going to outsmart the evil Don Carnage and his fleet of air pirates. All the while wondering how was good going to triumph over evil? How was good going to triumph over evil? Now there's a good chance you didn't watch the shows I watched growing up. I'm sure that each of us had had different heroes, different stories that encouraged and inspired us. For the Hebrew church, the church that this letter of Hebrews was written to, to, their, their Saturday morning cartoons, their comic books, their heroes are the people we've been studying the last eight weeks of this series, as well as the ones that are listed in our text this morning. Their heroes are Abel, Enoch, and Noah. They are Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Jacob. Joseph and Moses, Joshua and Rahab. And then our text this morning, it it picks up the list. There There are so many stories that the author of Hebrews says they don't have the time to write about Gideon, who obediently reduced his troops from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. And with those 300 men, some trumpets, pitchers, and torches routed a Midianite army whose army was so big that Judges 7.12 tells us that their camels without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. And Barak, who obeyed God's word and took 10,000 men against the mighty forces of Sisera and his 900 chariots of iron. We have Samson, who may seem more as a muscled man with little brain, and yet God gave him the power to free the Israelites from the Philistines. And after he was caught and brought low, he regained a a spiritual perspective. And in a great act of faith, he sacrificed himself for his people to accomplish God's deliverance in their lives. Then our text points to Jephthah. He was an illegitimate son, for his mother was a prostitute. He was an outcast, a Robin Hood-type figure, and was then called back to save Israel by defeating the Ammonites, which he did through his faith in God. And then we have David. Well known for his acts of faith, first among them his defeat of the giant Goliath, to whom he shouted, The Lord saves, not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Again, massive heroes of the faith in the eyes of the Hebrew church. Through faith, these people conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, and obtained promises. The text then goes on to say that heroes of the faith shut the mouths of lions, which is a reference to the prophet Daniel and his nights spent in the lion's den as punishment for praying to God. But his faith kept him in such a dangerous spot for the Lord's... Sorry, his faith kept him safe in such a dangerous spot for the Lord shut the mouths of the lions. These heroes quenched the power of fire, which is a reference to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These heroes of the faith were thrown into the fiery furnace, where they did not bow and worship King Nebuchadnezzar at the appointed time. The furnace was so hot that the men throwing them in were consumed by the flames, and as the king sat there to watch them burn, he was shocked and amazed to see a fourth person appear in the fire with them. 
And he called to them from out of the fire. And, and when they came to him, and he saw that they were not only totally healthy, but that they weren't even singed. They didn't even smell like fire. I mean, I, I have barbecues in my backyard. And if I am like within five feet of that thing, I reek. I got to wash all my clothes. I got to take a shower because the, the smell of smoke and the fire is on me just by sitting near it. These guys spend time in this fire, like hang out in the fire of fires, the furnace of furnaces, and they come and they don't even smell like it. And as he is amazed by this, overcome by their ability to sustain, their ability to not be affected, not singe, not even smell of the fire. This is what Nebuchadnezzar says. He makes his decree. He says, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses lain in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. These are awesome and amazing stories. Stories of people who escaped death, who escaped the edge of the sword. Stories of people whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and defeated foreign enemies. These are stories of people whose dead were raised to life. Stories of heroes. It pleases God to effect mighty triumphs through people of faith. God has the power and ability to save his people from anything, to deliver his people from anything. We, we see amazing rescues and, and the power of God at work all through the Bible. He has the ability to deliver triumphantly from anything, from sickness, personal injustice, domestic woe, the growing oppression of culture, and anything. And as this chapter has reminded us again and again, it is by faith that he delivers, faith in his word and his promises. And all this is, is true. God has this ability. God has this power. And for many of us, that may beg the question, so why not me? I'm going through some hard stuff right now. I'm, I'm going through or I've gone through some, some terrible things that no one should ever have to go through. Why didn't God work his amazing deliverance and protection in my life? Was my faith not big enough? Was my faith not strong enough? Am I too flawed for him to work through? Why not me? There's a parallel truth. That God works. God works in amazing ways. He loves to work through his people. This is true, but there's a parallel truth. And that is that God has not promised wholesale deliverance in this life. He has not promised to save each one who has faith in him, each one who has children from every and each and every uncomfortable, horrible, or depressing situation that they face. We are not promised wholesale deliverance in this life. God not bringing you out of whatever it is that you are going through is not God saying that he doesn't love you or that he doesn't care about your problems. Not all of these people in these stories were brought up. Some were brought low. You see, although we see that there are those who through faith escaped the edge of the sword in verse 34, 
We also see others equally faithful. Equally faithful who experienced, who suffered its cold edge. But through faith they persevered to death. Whether that death be by stoning or by the sword, by stabbing or being sawn in two. Some were tortured, some wandered in the desert wearing sheep and goatskins, rejected by society. Some were poor, some were imprisoned. For some life was very hard and seemed to hold precious few victories. When your walk of faith looks hard, when it looks difficult, Let us rejoice. So what your walk of faith looks like is going to be different for each of us. But let us rejoice in the fact that both are listed here. Those who suffered are listed right along with those who triumphed. What a blessing. What an encouragement. That they are all considered heroes. These are all stories of heroes. And the Hebrew church needed these stories. They needed these stories of victory and they needed these stories of struggle. They needed to be reminded of the power of faith for they were about to enter a hard time, a difficult and trying time. The Hebrew church would soon be up against persecution in the extreme would be overwhelmed by the genocidal waves of horror orchestrated by the mad emperor Nero. The only hope they had of persevering was because of their profound faith in the promises of God. The stories that we are given in Scripture, the stories of heroes, they encourage us, they inspire us. How God was working in the lives of others how he has used the lives of others for his purpose and glory. It gives us hope for how he will also be at work in our lives for his purpose and his glory. And yet, are any of us familiar with the phrase, never meet your heroes? As I've gone back and watched Tailspin and Rescue Rangers with my kids, it's it's a little hard not to be disappointed. The animation isn't as good as, you know, I once thought it was. The heroes aren't as cool as I once thought that they were. I can't physically go into the show and meet Ratchet and Monterey Jack or the Chipmunks, Chip and Dale. But I find myself disappointed that the heroes I had as a child didn't age as well as I would have hoped. As I look over some of the heroes that are listed in our text this morning, I am struck by a quote from John Calvin. He writes about these heroes of the Old Testament listed in our text this morning. He, he, he writes this, he says, There are none of them whose faith did not falter. Gideon was slower than he need have been to take up arms, and it was only with difficulty that he ventured to commit himself to God. We see the story of Gideon that that he didn't want to be the one to lead the armies. He set a couple tests to see and, and to make sure that what God was telling him was true. 
This man is lauded as a hero of the faith, but he was also a, a, a coward. What? Calvin, Calvin goes on, Barak hesitated at the beginning so that he had almost to be compelled by the reproaches of Deborah. In our adult Sunday school class, we've been talking about Barak, and, and here he is listed in the hall of heroes of the faith, and yet he was hesitant to go into this battle. Deborah had to call him out in public, and even then he wouldn't go unless she went with him. Calvin continues, Samson was the victim of the enticements of his mistress and thoughtlessly betrayed the safety of himself and all of his people. Samson couldn't get over his lust for Delilah. The situations that he put himself in, I mean, they they leave us shaking our heads. How could he not have known she was out to get him? He fell into her traps so many times. And he... He just ignored it. He just ignored it. He not only put himself in danger, but betrayed his people because of his desire for this woman who was not his wife, but a mistress, a girlfriend. And then we have Jephthah. Jephthah rushed headlong into making a foolish vow and was over-obstinate in performing it and therefore marred a fine Victory by the cruel death of his daughter, writes Calvin. Yeah, Jephthah routed the army. But before the, or after, after the, yeah, before the battle, sorry, he made a vow saying that if the Lord were to give him victory, he would offer up as a burnt offering to the Lord the first thing that came out of his house when he returned home. The Lord gave him the victory, but the first thing out of his house when he got home was his daughter. And dude fulfilled the vow. And while Calvin's quote does not mention David, we can still do that here. This great man of faith, the man after God's own heart, stayed home during the season in which kings go to war. And while home, he intentionally spied on a woman bathing and then summoned her to his bed and fathered a child with her. And to cover this up, he first got her husband drunk And when that didn't work, he had the man killed, murdered, in order to cover his own skin. Never meet your heroes, right? And as I sat and thought about this, never meet your heroes quickly became, never meet people. Because everyone eventually lets us down, right? Everyone. The Bible is clear that nobody is perfect, that nobody is sinless or guiltless. Every person on this earth will let you down given enough time and enough exposure. So if you're hanging out with me, hanging out with me long enough, my imperfections will become pretty clear to you. And what's hard is what's true for me is also true for you, and we know it. We know that we aren't perfect. We know that we fall in our sin more than we would like to, more than we want to, and definitely more than we want to admit. In our failing, we begin to wrestle with questions like, how can I be a person of faith and struggling with this sin? How can God love me? How can he continue to forgive me? How can I be an example of faith active in the life of a believer when I'm so busy tripping over my own shoes? 
How are you doing with that? How are you doing with the intersection of faith and sin, of being a person of faith, and because of that feeling so guilty and ashamed of the sin that trips you up in life? Calvin, after he laid out the failings of the heroes in our passage this morning, finished his quote in a way that hit me deeply. And I pray that if you are dealing with shame and guilt, if you feel caught between faith and your unworthiness of it, you take these words to heart. Calvin wrote, In every saint there is always to be found something reprehensible. In every saint there is always something to be found or some, always to be found something reprehensible. He's, he goes on to say, Nevertheless, although faith may be imperfect and incomplete, it does not cease to be approved by God. There is no reason, therefore, why the fault from which we labor should break us or discourage us, provided we go on by faith in the race of our calling. Calvin encourages us that in every saint, in every person that is saved by grace, saved by the gift of God, there is still sin. There is still something reprehensible, something offensive and disgusting. And that although faith may be tainted by our sin, it may be imperfect because of our sin, it does not cease to be approved by God. And so there is no reason that our failings that we struggle against should break us or discourage us as we continue in our walk of faith. I pray that that is as much of an encouragement to you as it is to me. John Calvin and Martin Luther, man, they had their differences, but in this area, it seems that they were in lockstep. For Martin Luther also, or he actually coined a phrase that is central to Lutheran theology based off of this whole dilemma, this being a, a person of faith and yet failing to be perfect in life or even the exercising of our faith. Martin Luther called it simul justice et peccator, simultaneously saint and sinner. We are saints because of the faith that God has given us, because of the work of Jesus on the cross on our behalf, because of our faith in Him and this work, because we believe that he is who He says He is, that He did what He says He did, and that He will do what He says He will do. And yet we are sinners that wrestle with our old nature, that wrestle with the desire to sin, the desire to rebel from God's plan, and the desire to rush wildly from the path of faith. A wrestling that we do not always, sometimes, do not often win. We are simultaneously saint and sinner, full of faith, and reprehension. Maybe we don't like that. You know, maybe, maybe we don't like this idea that we fall short, or that, that people of faith struggle and fail. Luther, Luther uses an illustration, and, and I quite like it. He says, the righteous are like sick people in the care of a doctor. They are really sick, but healthy only in the hope, though they begin to see some health being restored, some healing happen, but the hope that they one day will be fully healed. Nothing can harm them so much as the presumption that they are in fact healthy, for it will cause a bad relapse. As a Christians, or as Christians, we are sick people in care of a doctor, the great physician, 
God our Father and Creator. And though we are really sick in our sin, we are healthy in our hope. The hope that we have through Jesus Christ and the truth that He took all of our sin to the cross and died for it. So that we may be righteous in the eyes of the Father. That through faith in Jesus, because of our belief in Him, our sin is no longer held against us. That though we see good things happening because of faith. We see good things going on because of faith. God molding us to be the people that He wants us to be. And helping us fight the sin that so often raises its head to attack us. We will never be fully healed And never be fully free from the sickness of sin until God comes again and we are made new and given new bodies. That is when the fight is over. And the presumption that we are healthy, that we are good now, that we can be good enough is a danger because it can cause us to relapse. Trusting in our own work, trusting in our own actions, believing that we can somehow be good enough. All that does is lead us to fall deeper into sin. We need to rely on our Savior, on His work, and not our own. For His work is perfect, and His work lasts. Oh, how I find such comfort in 1 Timothy 1.15. If you are struggling this morning with your sin, with your struggle against sin, with your feelings of inadequacy and failure, With your shame and your guilt, rejoice in this passage with me this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am the foremost. Christ came into this world to save sinners. He came to save you. He came to save me. That's why why he came. That's his mission. To save us, knowing our sinful and reprehensible acts and thoughts, he came and he died to save us. Not because we are worth it, not because we deserve it, but because of his great love for us. And he doesn't expect us to be perfect until he makes us perfect. And he does not abandon us to our sin either, but fights with us against it. Wow. I don't know what heroes you looked up to as a kid, what heroes you may look up to now. Whether it's a cartoon character, a superhero, your mom, your dad, an athlete, a soldier, whoever it is, they will disappoint you. But friends, church, there is a hero who will never disappoint. And Jesus is the hero. He is the true hero of the story, the one hero that will never disappoint, the hero that I can't wait to meet. I rejoice in the day that we all get to meet him together as we finish this walk of faith and are embraced by the arms of the living God. Amen.